Well, good morning, family. As we come to the word of the Lord, let's go to him in prayer. Father, we are so blessed, as we mentioned at the beginning of the service here, we're so blessed to have the body of Christ. And what a privilege to gather together uh, personally and with some folks online, some folks who are ill or out of town and are joining us remotely. Uh, what a blessing it is to uh, to share together in our love for you, in our worship of you, and to share together in time where we come and hear from you. And I pray that indeed in these next moments as we open your word that that you would speak to us, that your Holy Spirit would take your word and uh, uh, impress it upon our hearts that we might hear your voice and we might uh, listen to you not just with with ears, but uh, with our hearts, that it might make a difference in us, that it might draw us closer to you and and uh, change us, conform us more to the image of our Lord Jesus. So to that end, we commit ourselves, we commit this time, and we ask your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I invite you to take your Bibles, uh, hopefully you have one with you, and open to the book of First Peter and chapter 2. We're going through a series here in this lovely and important little book, a very timely book for us, and uh, it'll help you to have it open during our message this morning. Just less than, a uh, little less than two months ago, Britain's longest-serving monarch died, Queen Elizabeth. I uh, grew up with her as Queen of England. She was Queen my whole life. And uh, I must confess that over the years, I often felt sorry for her. As I got older, I began to notice that you couldn't listen to a newscast. You couldn't open... Uh, an American newspaper, you couldn't uh, read a news feed on your, uh, on your tablet or, or electronic device without discovering some story relating to the British monarchy. And, of course, more often than not, the stories that you found were, one, stories about royals behaving badly. And all of that putting yet one more black mark on the honor of the monarchy. And I can imagine that the queen probably spent a fair amount of time screaming or crying into a pillow because I think she was too dignified to do that just down the hallways of the palace. But she probably would scream into her pillow because she longed for her children to live up to their heritage. Most of us look at that royal mess over there and we shake our heads and we wonder how can it be that people who have so much and who have so much opportunity can be so messed up? How can they have so little maturity, so little common sense? How can they have so little regard for others? or for the impact of their actions upon their personal reputations, upon the reputation of their family, 
and even the reputation of their country. And I, I often wonder, maybe you do too, what good is royalty that behaves badly? Royalty that seems to have less wisdom, less loyalty, less decency than the average person on the street. And with that thought, that picture perhaps in our mind, we come here to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. But before I read verse 11, I want to back up two verses and read a couple of verses that we were in last week's study. And you'll see the relevance. But you are a chosen people, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His, for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We've learned in this book As believers in Jesus Christ, we have received a new identity. We were nobody. But now, in Jesus Christ, we are God's children. We are His people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. We are royalty. Think about that for a moment. Look at the person next to you. They're a prince, a princess. (laughs) In God's kingdom, we are co-heirs, the Bible says, with Jesus Christ. That's phenomenal. Earlier in the letter, Peter reminded us that we have also not only received a new identity, we received a new destiny. We have received a glorious destiny, a living hope, he calls it. An eternal, unfading, guaranteed inheritance. I can imagine, not only can I imagine, I know for a fact because God says so, that He wants His children, that He wants His royal children to live up to their calling. It's a theme in the book of Ephesians. It's a theme here in First Peter He wants His children to live honorably. But I wonder if you, if I, had the paparazzi following us around 24-7 like they do the royals in England, I wonder how we would fare under that scrutiny. Would they be showing pictures And writing reports of royals behaving badly. Or would they be showing pictures and writing stories about God's people who are living like His children? This passage before us this morning, here in 1 Peter 2, 11-17, is a call for us to live up to our identity. 
to live honorably as God's people in the world. And it lays out for us five commands for honorable living. Five ways that we are to live honorably as God's children, as His royal family in this world. Verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Abstain from the passions of the flesh. I like the way the New International Version translates that phrase. It says, abstain from evil or, or wicked desires. Say no, is the way I summarize it. Say no to sinful desires. I can't speak for you, but I can speak for many of us whom I've talked to, and I can speak for myself. I think most of us are frequently tempted and frequently drawn to follow various passions, various desires that are sinful. And we are also drawn to desires that may not be Sinful, but we are drawn to gratify those desires in sinful ways. And this passage says, say no to such things. We might wonder, well, why should I, why should I say no to desires that I want, to things that I feel? Why should I really care enough to say no? Because you're talking about some hard work at times. Well, the passage gives us several reasons. For one reason, it says, for our well-being. It doesn't say that. What it says is, these wage war against our soul. They're destructive to us. Not just mildly harmful. Not just a little issue. They are at war with us. See, again, I can't speak for you, but I can speak for myself and so many that I've talked to. The reality is that we have a, most of us have a, a tendency to say, you know what, my sin isn't a big deal. I know there are the really big bad sins, but those aren't my problem. You know, my sin is just a little thing. My sinful desires, they're just little things. And so we tend to play with them. We tend to flirt with them. It's not a problem. But this says, no, they are at war with you. They are damaging. They are destructive. They want to take you out. So we need to be decisive. We need to be drastic. We need to say, no, not going there. Say no to sinful desires for our own well-being. If that's not enough, it gives another reason here in this text. It says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles... The word sojourners means a traveler, a temporary resident. And the word exile there, we've talked about already both of these terms in this, in this book, is the word alien. It's people who don't belong here. As Philippians tells us, by the way, we're not to do, we're not to do these things because of, our, it's because of our destiny. Paul reminds us in Philippians chapter 3 that our citizenship is in heaven. We await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. The point is that our citizenship, our home is not here. 
We are sojourners. We are temporary residents here because our real home is in heaven. We are aliens here. We are exiles here because we don't belong here anymore. Our citizenship isn't here. Our citizenship is in heaven. A couple of weeks ago, I had to take a quick trip to Florida. Got down there and checked into a hotel. I don't know about your family, but when we check into a hotel... The first thing we do when we go in the room is not go start taking the pictures off the wall and replacing them with our family photos. When we check into a hotel, what we don't do is is run down the street to Lowe's and pick up some paint and rollers and go back and start repainting the room. When we check into a hotel, I don't get on the phone and call up a couple of carpet places and get bids for replacing the carpet. And I don't get on Wayfair and start researching some furniture and some, some uh, a bedspread and some curtains to redo the room. Why don't we do that? It's not our room. This isn't our home. And we're only going to be there for one night or two nights. You get the point. We are aliens and strangers in this room, in this, in this world. This isn't our home. It's reminding us not to be stressed out and be focused on trying to satisfy our desires and our longings here in this world. Thinking this is the end all. And if I don't get it here and if I don't have these things here, I miss out. Our home is in heaven. Jesus said, don't lay up the treasures on earth. Lay up treasures in heaven because that's where they last forever. You see, this is just a temporary stop on our way home. And the very, very best things and the very, very best experiences The very best that this world has to offer is nothing to compare with what God has awaiting for us in our eternal destiny. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard what the Lord has prepared for those who love Him, the Scripture says. See, we're not to get focused on on the here and now. And the stuff of earth and the pleasures and the experiences of earth. That's what he's saying. It's kind of like the kids in the car. You're in the car. The kids are in the back of the van and you're going down the road and the kids are like, we're hungry. You're saying we're stopping for lunch soon. But we're hungry. And, you know, one of the kids digs around. They find a little goldfish cracker back in a little crevice where it's been hiding for six months, you know. And they find it and a war breaks out over the little goldfish. Whose goldfish is it? That was mine. I lost it. It's mine. And they're fighting the goldfish. And you're going, in an hour, we're going to be at Lambert's. The big mega buffet, home of the throat rolls. All you can eat. It doesn't, you know. But all they can do is focus on the little cracker. That's what we are here on earth. 
when we focus on the fleshly desires and we forget the big banquet that's coming. That's his point. Because of our destiny, say no to sinful desires. One last reason, one third reason here why we need to say no to sinful desires. Again, it goes back to he says we are aliens and strangers here. And the question is why? Why are we here when God has saved us and given us an eternal destiny in heaven? He says there's our future. There's the glory that awaits us. Why are we still here? Why when the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, why didn't he just right then beam you up to heaven? Why did He leave you here in this world that is filled, yes, with pleasures and good things, but it's also filled with constant sorrow and pain? Why did He leave you here? We saw the answer last week in the the verses, actually I just read a few moments ago, in verse 9 where it says, He's left us here to proclaim the excellencies of Him who brought us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Not only to declare His glories in praise, we saw, but we also realize it's to declare His glories to a world who needs to hear that there's a God who loves Him so much He gave His one and only Son. Whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. People need to be saved. They need to be rescued from sin and death and hell. And He's left us here on earth for a purpose. And because of our purpose, We are to live here as aliens and strangers and we're to say no to the sinful desires that wage war against our soul. When we focus on gratifying our desires, good or bad, here in this life, we lose sight of our purpose. The second command, I've got to move quickly here, the second command here for living honorably, here in this world, is found in verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Keep your conduct, that means your your way of life, that means everything you do, keep your conduct among the Gentiles, that means among the unbelievers, keep it honorable. And that word there, honorable, translates literally as good, as beautiful, as pleasant, as attractive. And so I put that into my own words. I'd say the second command here is this. Live positively good lives. See, I put positively in there because we say good lives. A lot of us think, you know, I could have used the word holy. And we all think, holy. And we think good, meaning that kind of pious thing. But it's the word positively. Let me just give a few relevant observations about some of the little words and phrases in this verse that I I think will help us unpack it. The first thing I want to notice is he says that this is among the Gentiles, among the unbelievers. That's important because what he's telling us is that as Christians, we are not just to, okay, I've become a believer in Jesus Christ, and I don't want to get stained by the 
the world out there. I do want to say no to these sinful desires. I don't want to get stained by that. So, so what I'm going to do is start hanging out with my Christian brothers and sisters and we're going to, we're going to build ourselves a little Christian community here and put gates around it and a big, and big walls and we're all going to live in our little holy huddle here and we're all going to hang out and sing Christian songs and do Christian things and we'll, we'll all be here and we will remain unstained by the world and ready for Jesus to come back. But that's not why Jesus left us here. He left us here to be among the, the Gentiles, among the unbelievers. To rub shoulders with them. So that we have a positive contact and a positive impact upon them for Jesus Christ. The second thing is that word honorable. Honorable. Our conduct, you see, is to be more than just not bad. That was point one. Say no to sinful desires. That is part of honorable contact, but it's more than that. That word honorable, as I mentioned, means beautiful. It means attractive. We are to live lives that are positively good. They're just, it's not, not just bad, but they are doing good things. Because we notice as we go on, he says, that they may see your good deeds. That they may see your good works. We are to be making a positive impact in the world around us by the good things that we do. Our actions are to be consistent with God's nature, exhibiting His excellencies as we saw back in verse 9. Proclaiming His excellencies, not only with our lips, but with our actions. People should look at us and see some of the goodness of God. See the grace of God. The kindness and the mercy of God in the things that we do. I love how the, again, how the New International translates this verse. It says, live such good lives among the pagans that they may see your good works and glorify God in heaven. See, Honorable lives is positive goodness. Moves on though. One more phrase. Says, when they speak against you as evildoers, when they call you evildoers, and that little word when is an important word because it didn't say if. It said when. Good, genuine, sincere, Faithful believers in Jesus Christ will sometimes be slandered, sometimes be maligned, sometimes be hated by the world around them. Sooner or later, it will happen to every believer in Jesus Christ. I know that because Jesus said so. We love the promises of Scripture except when they're not promises we like. Jesus in John 15 gave some promises But they're not the promises we usually like to quote. He said, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. And if you are of the world, the world will love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore, the world hates you. There's a promise. The world hates you. Remember that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, and they did, They will also persecute you. There's another promise. See? 
Jesus promises, you follow me, sooner or later there's going to be a cost. Sooner or later, people are going to say things about you. They're going to slander you. But the point is, if they're going to slander you, make them lie. Make them have to lie to do it. Fourthly, the fourth phrase to notice here, live positively good so that it says they will glorify God on the day that Jesus visits. The day of of visitation it means. What is the day of visitation? The day of visitation is the day when Jesus returns. What does it mean when they say they're going to glorify God when Jesus returns? How does that happen? Because he's saying he wants your life to be so overflowing with good works, with good character, with good actions, that these folks are going to give glory to God because of you. Let me suggest two ways that I think in which this will happen. One, it's going to happen because somebody who has been slandering you, speaking badly about you, treating you badly, because of your consistency in your words and actions, in living positively good, they are going to have a change of heart and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And on the day of visitation when Jesus returns, they will be facing Him as their Savior, not their judge. They're going to say, Jesus, thank You so much for putting you know, so-and-so in my path. It was through their lips and through their life that I came to understand the truth about You and I trusted You as my Savior. They give glory to God because of You. The other way that's going to happen is on the day of Jesus, when Jesus returns, a person is going to stand before Him and they're going to face Him as their judge. And they're going to stand and actually the Bible says that they're going to have to bow before Him. Every knee will bow. They will have to honor Him as Lord God. And they're going to have to give Him praise. And as they do so, they will praise Him for all of the mercies and all of the graces that He put into their life and in their path. And among those, they will have to give praise to God for you. God, you put, you put so-and-so in my life. You put so-and-so in my path. And they live before me a life of goodness with their lips and with their life and they give witness to me and testimony to me about you and about Jesus Christ and about how I could be saved through Him. Even though they did not listen, they will have to give praise to God because of you. That's how this is going to happen. They'll glorify God when they see your good works. It's a sobering question, however. How do our unbelieving neighbors, our unbelieving co-workers, our unbelieving classmates, our unbelieving family members, how do they see us? You know, when something happens in one of our neighborhoods, something happens around the city, there's a big you know, deal, and they send the reporters out. And then what do the reporters do? They start going and interviewing the neighbors. So Channel 4 shows up in your neighborhood and starts going around house to house asking your neighbors about you. What do they say? 
Well, you know, he was always a grouch. <laughs> yeah, he was a, he was an irritable son of a gun. You know, he was a short-tempered. Uh, he was kind of self-righteous, hypocritical. They're difficult. They're opinionated, hateful, stingy, or maybe just aloof and uncaring. Lived next to him for thirty years. Never never heard a word from him. Or do your neighbors see a little reflection of God in you? Do they say, you know, those are the nicest people you'd ever meet. They are kind, compassionate, gentle, honest, never two-faced. Never gossiping, always encouraging. See, because one day, they're going to stand before Jesus. What are they going to say about us? Are they going to give glory to God because of us? Sobering question. Well, there's three more, but they'll go faster. The third command is in verses 15 and 16. Be subject for the Lord's sake. Hopefully these commands don't get harder. (laughs) Whew, that's two hard ones already. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. The third command here is be subject or to submit to authority. So the least desirable, least popular words in the English language. Submit. Be subject. As we will see in weeks to come in our study in this book, it is a big theme in this little letter. Subject. Submit, we hate that word, and especially when you put it with that little word, to every human institution. Again, I like the way the NIV translates this, to every authority instituted among men. It pretty well covers everything. National government, state government, local government, your HOA, your... um, school authorities, you name it. If it is an authority over you, if it's an organization you put yourself in where there are authorities over you, it's every authority that you are under. Your work authority. He's saying to every one of them we are to submit to that authority. Now, understand there are some Things that we can say, well, what about? Sure. When appropriate, this command does not preclude us from working within the established authority to appeal a decision we don't like or to uh, change rules that we don't like. We can work within the system to amend and change and appeal. Certainly. It doesn't preclude that. Nor does this command preclude us from quitting or extricating ourselves, leaving a job or a situation where we have the freedom and the ability to do that. 
You don't like the authority in your job, you can quit. You can leave. But as long as you're there, as long as we're in that organization, as long as we are in that place, we are under that authority. And certainly, if the authority is asking us to violate what God says, then if it tells us to do something He says not to do, or not to do something God says to do, then we must obey God. As the apostles put it, Acts chapter 5, verse 29, we must obey God rather than men when they were politely, respectfully refusing to obey and to submit to the religious authorities when they were going against what God said. Now, all of those little caveats and all those little things aside, we must not hurry to the exclusions and jump right past the main point. Because the main point is we are 99.999% of the time to submit to all human authority. We love the exceptions because we don't like to submit, because we are rebels at heart. Anybody else? As soon as you tell me you can't do that, I want to do it. You know, we moved into Lake St. Louis. There's 40,000 pages of rules. I wanted to break them all. It is built into us by our sin nature, not by God. God says obey. Three reasons He gives here. By the way, it's worth noting that the authority at the top of this chain in His sense, whether it is to the, what's the top one that's on the list? Emperor. Who was emperor at this time? Nero. One of the most corrupt one of the most wicked leaders of all time, makes everybody's bad list. A man who would very soon unleash upon Christians one of the most vicious persecutions of all history. Matter of fact, not long after Peter writes this letter, within a couple of years, both he and the Apostle Paul will be executed under Nero's persecution. I think Peter is writing this letter precisely because Peter can see, as it were, the handwriting on the wall. He knows what's coming, and he's writing this people to prepare them. They're in hard times right now, but I think he understands worse times are coming. And what does he tell them? Submit three reasons why. First, for the Lord's sake in verse 13. And in verse 15, he says, because this is the will of God. Do it for the Lord's sake, because God says so. The Apostle Paul, we don't have time to go there, Romans chapter 15, go, you can read it on your own, says that all authority comes from God. All authority, even corrupt authority like Nero, is there. He's on the throne by, by the desire of God. God has allowed it, and He has them there for a purpose. Even corrupt authorities exist because God has allowed them to do so and we are to, as much as possible, submit to their authority. Secondly, he says, not only for the Lord's sake, but for order's sake. Notice he says what the purpose of this authority is. These authorities exist, he says, to, to punish the evildoer and to reward good. Even corrupt authority is better than anarchy. Even corrupt authority 
tries to keep order. For the sake of order in our land, for the sake of order in our community, for the sake of order in our world, we are to submit to all human authority. Another reason he gives, though, he says, we are to submit to all authority so that foolish people cannot charge us with being rebels and have the charges stick. We are to do it, you see, for the sake of our testimony. We are to be faithful citizens so that foolish people cannot level charges against us that will stick, that we are subversive, that we are troublemakers. Make them accuse us falsely. Don't give them legitimate reasons to say, see, told you, they're troublemakers. The fourth command for honorable living We find it in verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. As God's children, we are citizens of heaven. We are free people. Whether we are a citizen of the United States, and we all consider ourselves here free, or whether you are a citizen of Russia, or whether you're a citizen of China, or whether you're a citizen of North Korea, you are free. Why? Well, because your real citizenship is in heaven. Even if if somebody has a piece of paper that says, you are a slave, a legal slave of that person, you are free because you are God's people. You are His possession. He has said here already in this book, they don't own you. God does. You're free. People may think that they own you. People may think that they possess you. People may think that they can control you because you are their slave or their citizen, but you are God's people and citizens of His kingdom. You're His children. You're free. That was huge news to these folks. In a time when the Roman Empire was made up of well more than 50% slaves, it is very likely that many of the readers, the, the original audience of this letter, the recipients of this letter, it's very likely that many of them were slaves. It was important and, and encouraging for them to hear, you're free. They don't own you. God does. Now, as God's free people, what are you to do? He says, don't use your freedom for evil. Don't use it as an excuse. Don't use it as an excuse to do what is wrong. Don't use your freedom to act like a rebel. Instead, point number three, Submit yourself to every human authority. You mean, I live in North Korea and I'm supposed to act like a citizen of North Korea even though I'm free? Yes. Even though I'm a citizen of heaven? Yes. We're going to hear more about that in the coming weeks. 
Don't be a rebel. Don't use your freedom to indulge your sinful desires. That was point number one. Don't use it as a cover-up for evil. Instead, he says, use your freedom to serve God. Use your freedom to live life where you are. As a citizen of Rome, as a slave, as a citizen of North Korea, as a short-term resident in this world, living wherever you are, you're to live where you are as a child of God, living a life of positive good, submitting to authority who may not deserve it, And we thought the commands were going to get easier. They just keep getting harder. Because he goes on. In the last command, he says, verse 17, Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Not just submit to authority. Honor it. See, notice he says, honor. That means respect, revere, place in honor and esteem. And I notice that it says everyone, and I checked the Greek, I double-checked it, triple-checked it just to make sure because I didn't believe it. It said everyone, and I thought, what does it mean? And it means everyone. That means honor those in authority. You see, we were already told to submit to those in authority. Now we're told to esteem them. That means if you live in North Korea, you honor the leader of North Korea. That means if you live in America, you honor the leader, you honor the president. We'll get to that. That's the last command there. Honor the king, the emperor. We don't have emperors. We have presidents. We're going to honor them. Honor everyone. That includes every authority, whether you like them or not, whether they're nice or not, whether they deserve it or not. We're to honor those in authority. Not only are we to honor those in authority, but we are to honor everyone. That means not just those above me, but those who I may have authority over. So we are not to lord it over people that we have authority over. If you're a boss and you have employees, you are to honor your employees. If you are a president a governor, a ruler, you are to honor those who are your constituents. If you are a leader in a church, you are to honor those who are under your leadership. If you are a leader in your home, if you're a husband, you are to honor your wife and your children. If you're a mom, you're to honor your children. We are to give honor to everyone. Those we have authority over. We are to give honor to those who we think are just below us. You know, there are some folks that we just think they're a few steps below us because they're, you know, they're a few bricks short of a load. Uh, they're just incompetent. And so we, we get ticked off when we're in that slow checkout line and that checker is just moving so slow. Or that mechanic who is so incompetent 
or that waitress who is so rude and we tend to elevate ourselves and we tend to look down on people when we should be honoring and esteeming them. See, this is a big deal. We're even to honor those who irritate us and those who mistreat us because the command says honor everyone. Along with that love the brotherhood, sadly, so many Christians give Jesus a bad name, give him a bad reputation because Christians don't love one another. They fight one another. They treat one another badly. Love the brotherhood, he says. May I say that we dishonor God when we don't love the brothers? That's the next commandment here in the list. Fear God. We should fear God. And if I fear God, it should cause me not to dishonor somebody that He has made. There's not a person on earth He didn't make. And I should love my brother in Jesus Christ even though we have differences of opinion because Jesus Christ died to save them from sin and He died to bring them into His family and make them my brother and sister in Christ. So He says, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the King. Again, practical applications of that honor everyone. Wow. That's a hard list, isn't it? But the point is, if we don't do those things, we are royals behaving badly. And none of us do it perfectly, but it ought to be our aim to bring honor to our Savior by living honorably as His children. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your great grace. You loved the world so much that You became man. Jesus came to die in our place to pay the penalty of our sin so we can be saved by simply believing, by trusting in Him. Then our sin is forgiven. We have a future in heaven. We are brought into your family. Along with that, all those great blessings comes responsibility. Do you desire for us to live as your royal family, your royal children? We confess we so often fail to do that. Father, may this remind us and may it challenge us and may it move us to live as your royal children at home with our husbands, with our wives, with our kids, at our job, with our neighbors, with our, at our, in our schools, with our classmates, with our friends. May we live honorably so that you are exalted and so that the message of the gospel isn't contradicted by our actions. So when people hear the good news of Jesus, they'll listen and they'll put their trust in Him. So people on the day that Jesus comes back, they will glorify God because of the good they have seen in us. May that be so. Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.